Heavenly Father, we thank you now for your presence up until this moment. And now we ask that you would please send us your Holy Spirit moving forward. That spirit that inspires, that spirit that convicts, that spirit that motivates us, send that spirit. Touch our hearts today. You preach the sermon. Speak through me, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sabbath, everyone. I'm told there's an overflow room, so I must say happy Sabbath to them as well. And I am told that we are streaming live, so happy Sabbath to you as well. Before I begin, I have to say some special thanks to so many individuals. First of all, I must thank Dr. Dwight Nelson. I'm told he has a PhD. Did you know that? So to Dr. Dwight Nelson, I say thank you for allowing us to use your pulpit this morning and allowing us to uh, indulge in this service today and, and worship the Lord in front of everyone. I must thank everyone for being here. My Lord. Y'all know it's a pandemic, right? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I want to thank my team, the AUSA team, my president, Kiara. I also want to thank Michael Cube for that introduction. He made me cry, and I didn't have a handkerchief, so I'm over there with tears running from my eyes. I can't wipe them off my face because at least I'm not Michael Jordan, so they won't make a meme out of me. And I must also thank the PMC team for their tireless effort that they have done. Oh, I forgot to thank the singers for that lovely rendition that they just did and the praise team as well. Now, how are you doing? Oh, you got to talk to me. Come on now. I said, how are you doing? Amen. I know you got a mask on, but you can, you know, hello, come on, project yourself. Uh, We're going to be preaching today from the subject the main ingredient, the main ingredient. I'm in the book of Galatians. What book did I say? Chapter five, reading from the 22nd verse. Galatians chapter five, reading from the 22nd verse. And I must give a disclaimer. I'm comfortable now. You see, this morning when I preached first service, I was a bit tired, but it's about, what time is it? 1230. So I'm comfortable now. But when I get hungry, Come on, somebody. So I'm going to honor the time as best I can. Is that all right with you? What book did I say? What chapter? Reading from the 22nd verse. Galatians chapter 5, reading from verse 22. The Bible says these words, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. I'm reading from King James, so you got those old words. Gentleness goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such, there is no law. I'm going to say something that I didn't say earlier. And I want it to be clear. I am proud to be a Christian. You should have said amen louder. I am proud to be a Christian, but you must believe it has nothing to do with the church. The church is a wild card. One minute they do something you're proud of, the next minute, hello somebody. 
However, I am proud to be a Christian because of who Christianity is centered around. And that is the man Christ Jesus. Would you say amen? And because he is so good and he is so holy and the Bible says he does not change, I have no doubt and I have no uh, reason to doubt my faith. However, I've come to talk about us. Galatians 5 and verse 22, Paul presents this concept that he calls the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. This is the goal. This is where we want to be. Uh, This is uh, the mindset or the character traits, rather, that constitute kingdom living, kingdom thinking, kingdom behavior. Paul sets these, as you notice in verse 22, the word but, which means a contrast. So Paul sets these fruit, sorry, this fruit as contrasting to what he calls the works of the flesh. You read about the works of the flesh in chapter 5, reading from verse 19. However, before I get into that, let me give you a little context. Paul is writing to the church in Galatia. You find that in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 2. And Paul writes a bit differently than he would write to, let's say, Philippians or some other church. In Philippians, Paul is saying, I am so glad of your joy in the gospel. I'm so glad that that you all are enjoying the fellowship and God will do a great thing in you because he's already done it. That's Philippians. He's commending them. But in Galatians, he has to correct some error. Are y'all with me today? In Galatians, he has to correct some error. See, because Paul puts it this way, he says, there are some who have preached another gospel. Y'all need to be careful with what you listen to. There are some who have preached another gospel, and he says it's not really another, but it's kind of a pseudo gospel. They are teaching that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised. Circumcision, which is the removal of the flesh. I won't tell you what flesh because we're streaming. But circumcision, which is the removal of the flesh, Paul says they are focusing too much on the outward without realizing the inward. See, the removal of the flesh is a symbol. It is a representation representing the removal of the works of the flesh, which I will speak about momentarily. But the church in Galatia was so consumed with their outward religion, they could not focus on the inward. They were so consumed with trying to look like Christians, they didn't know what it meant to really be a Christian. Are y'all with me today? You might be quiet. Y'all know I'm black. And where I come from, if the saints ain't talking, then they ain't listening. Y'all with me now? Hello, somebody. I got to say it one more time. I said they were so concerned with looking like Christians, they did not understand what it meant to be a Christian. And so Paul had to correct some error. Now, once he gets to chapter 5, now he is talking about what it really means to be a Christian. Remember, I told you the fruit of the Spirit. That's the goal. That's where we want to be. That's, uh, uh, as Paul says it in Philippians, or I believe it's Philippians. I might be messing it up. But he says, I press toward the mark. That's the mark, the fruit of the Spirit. But the works of the flesh, 
That's where we are. Galatians chapter 5, reading from verse 19, are you there? It says in verse 19, now the works of the flesh are manifest. Some translations say evident, which means they're clear. We see them, we know them, we do them. Which are these? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. The, the, the Greek says sexual immorality. Uh, 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 I don't have time to talk about that today. But verse 20, he says idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Uh, the Greek says divisions, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions. Uh, I read in one translation, selfish ambition and heresies in verse 21. I'm verse 20. Now I'm moving to verse 21. Envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I ought not do a sermon right now on the nature of sin. We know already what's wrong with sin. All you got to do is turn on the news. Come on, somebody. We know the nature of sin, and we know its detrimental effect. So it must not be a mystery to us as to why the Lord would prohibit those things from taking place in the kingdom of heaven. But here's what I want to say to us. When we think of the works of the flesh, we oftentimes think of the world, not us. First John chapter 2, reading from verse 15, Paul says, Love not the world, neither the things in the world, for all that is in the world is not of the Father. For that which is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And so when we think, we take that text and we say, hey, it's not us, it's the world. We're not a part of the world, we're in the church. But did you read Galatians 5? It says the works of the flesh. The church is made up of flesh. Y'all with me today? In other words, what Paul is saying is, is these things have, are taking place in church. I don't have time to talk about the sexual immorality, but go to verse 20. He says, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. There's hatred in church. Don't you know that racism is, is, is the effect? It is the manifestation of hatred. Talk to me. And I, I, heard, I heard somewhere on, on a radio station that, 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 the most segregated place in America is the church. I'm not talking about PMC, would you say amen? (laughs) There's division in church. Uh, Black versus white. uh, Liberal versus conservative. Whether political or religious. Neither is biblical. You know, everybody want to talk about, well, you know, I'm conservative, so I believe this. I'm talking about religiously. And then somebody else says, I'm liberal, so I believe this. Can I tell you what I say? I'm biblical. Would you say amen? (laughs) And I hope you say it too. But there's division in church. There is hatred in church. There is selfish ambition in church. And even some places may not be here. I know it's not here. But some places there are heretical teachings in church because I define heresy as anything that keeps people away from Christ instead of bringing them closer to him. Paul is dealing with this. See, the problem is, is that we don't see we have a problem. 
But once we recognize that we have a problem, then we are ready to face the solution. Would you say amen? Once we realize our imperfections, and once we realize that we are not perfect, because if we were perfect, Jesus would not have died. Y'all with me? Once we realize that, then we are ready to face the solution. And Paul presents the fruit of the Spirit as the solution to the prevailing evils, not in society, but in the church. And if we can correct the prevailing evils of the church, then the church can go forth into society and show them what it really looks like to be a good human being. But until then, we are not ready to go. Your pastor has come up with a theme this year. Is it year or is it month or year? Okay. He didn't answer. He just shook his head. (laughs) But he has come up with a theme for some time being. And it is, what is it? So send I you. And as I was grappling with this text, you know, I had already written my sermon when he told me the theme. And so I said, Lord, what what are we going to (laughs) do? And uh, the Holy Spirit said, don't worry, I I had planned for it before you wrote it. So I told you, you're going to eat real good today. I didn't cook this up. The Holy Spirit did. Would you say amen? I'm just the waiter. But the Holy Spirit, as I was wrestling with him, I was, you know, I almost hurt my hip wrestling with him like Jacob. Y'all with me? Uh, As I was wrestling with the Holy Spirit, uh, I said, Lord, I don't understand. How can we uh, tie this to so send I you? And the Lord told me that you cannot be sent until you, uh, uh, until you correct the problems in the church. I'll get there in a minute. I don't have time yet. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. The solution now is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul presents the fruit of the Spirit as the solution, again I say, to the prevailing problems within the church. Now that we have identified the problems, let's understand the solution. Reading from verse 22, he says, but the fruit, not the fruits, plural, but the fruit, singular. It is one all-encompassing fruit. Uh, It's an apple with many vitamins and minerals. He says, you cannot have one virtue without the other virtue. In other words, you cannot emphasize temperance above love. You cannot emphasize faith without understanding patience. You cannot emphasize kindness, which is, uh, in in the King James it says gentleness, but the Greek says kindness or mercy. You cannot emphasize that above meekness. They all must go hand in hand. It is one fruit. And if you have it, you have it. If you don't, you don't. But the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as I was doing a careful syntactical analysis of the lexical grammatical understanding of the Greek language. (laughs) Y'all know those preachers that always want to say big words. I, I won't say who that may be. I don't know. There might be some seminarians in here. But can I talk about the Greek? Is that all right with you? You know, there might be a professor in here, so I got to act like I know what I'm talking about, you see. Maybe they'll bump my grade up a little bit. Come on, somebody. 
Y'all know, y'all know y'all want it. <laughs> the Greek suggests that the word fruit could also be rendered or, or really is representative of a result. See, see, when you see an apple from a tree, that apple is the result of a process that you did not see. Oh, I got to say it again. When you see an apple, that apple is the result of a process that took place underground. A seed was planted and the seed grew. And as the seed grew, a tree was formed and, and, and that tree bore fruit, which produced the apple. So it is when you see the fruit of the spirit in somebody, that fruit is the result of a process that took place on the inside. Amen. Ah, you, you didn't catch that. It's the result of a process that took place on the inside. Therefore, religion is an inside job. Y'all with me? And once God has corrected the inside, once God has worked on the inside, then the outside will correct itself. The fruit of the spirit. I'm still on the Greek because, because all translations that I have read have rendered it the fruit of the spirit. But as I did a little studying, I discovered that one could also render it the fruit that is produced by the spirit. If y'all want to learn how I got there, you come see me after service. The fruit that is produced by the Spirit. That is to say, without the Spirit, you cannot have the fruit. Without the Spirit, you cannot have the fruit. Therefore, the missing element, the main ingredient in our lives is the Spirit. You know, I love Adventists. Come on, somebody. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist, if you didn't know. And I love our church. We have so many good things in it. And we have things that need to be corrected, too. Let's just be honest. One thing I love about our church is we, 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 really, we really know our Bibles. And, and we really study it. We know prophecy. We can explain stuff people don't even care about. But we act like they do, you know. Yeah, hey, hey. <laughs> now, once, once, once we work on their brain, then they'll start caring a little bit. You understand what I'm saying? But that's what I love about Adventists. We emphasize biblical literacy. But <laughs> salvation is an inside job. Uh, salvation starts on the inside. You can know all the scriptures and still be a horrible person. So then, in other words, our biblical knowledge will not save us. But it is the presence of the Spirit. Now, I'm adding something here because the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. In the book of Matthew, reading from the 20th, uh, 25th chapter, you remember those 10 virgins? 
Five were wise and five were foolish. They all had lamps. And Michael Cube talks about lamps because the word is as a lamp unto my feet. They all had lamps. They all had the word of God, yet some of them lacked oil. The problem was not biblical literacy. The problem was the lack of oil. And in scripture, oil is always representative of the Holy Spirit. So one of the things that will shut us out of heaven is not that we don't understand Daniel and Revelation. Rather, it is that we lack the spirit of God, which produces love, which produces peace, which produces joy. The fruit which is produced by the spirit. If you haven't catched it now, the main ingredient is the spirit. Y'all with me? The main ingredient. The question then, the question now is, how then uh, do we receive the Holy Spirit? I'm not going to be bashing anybody, you know. I know I've been talking about all our problems. Now I've got to give you hope. Would you say amen? <laughs> you, you know the preacher that all he gives does and gets up there and talks about everything wrong with the church and don't give any hope. Don't you know that we preach something called the gospel? You know what that means, right? That's good news. Ain't bad news. It's good news. News that make you want to shout. Now, I'm an Adventist, so I won't shout here, but... But it make you want to shout. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? There are three ways. There are three ways. Now, every preacher always has three ways. And, and I didn't want to give you three ways, but the Lord said you better give them three ways because that's what I told you to give them. So there are three ways, three things that we need to be mindful of in order to receive the Holy Spirit. Do you have your Bibles with you? Come on, talk to me. Do you have your Bibles with you? Do you have a phone? Wave it up so I can see it. You have your Bibles, you have your phone. Okay, we're going to the book of John. What book did I say? John reading from the third chapter. I'll go there too. John reading from the third chapter, and we're going to look at the fifth verse. You know this text. I'm sorry, the third verse. Nicodemus is talking to Jesus, and Nicodemus comes to Jesus like he's some smart man. You know, Rabbi, you know, trying to flatter him. Rabbi, uh, we know you're a teacher sent from God, and Jesus just ignores that. He says, I don't got time. I got something to tell you today. And in verse three, Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and he says, verily, verily, I say unto you, Truly, truly, uh, except a man be born again. What word did he say? Born what? Come on. He cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, Nicodemus thought he was slick, you know. Nicodemus said, well, you know, Jesus, I know you did not study biology like the rest of us. However, I do not think that it is uh, possible for a man to go back into his mother's womb. In fact, his mother was trying to get him out so much. I don't think she will let him come back in. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Except a man be born of the water and of the spirit, huh? he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. Number one, if we are going to experience or receive the Holy Spirit, we must first receive, or receive, yes, a new birth. We must first receive a new birth. We must be born again. 
We call this conversion. Some call it sanctification. You see, but here's the problem. Is that when we talk about conversion and sanctification, we always specify it to a specific date. This was the day I got converted. This was the day I was born again. This was the day. Now, Nicodemus was on to something when he started talking about entering the womb again. Because I started thinking about birth. Now, I've never given birth. I don't plan on giving birth either. Even if it were possible, I would not want to give birth. You all should thank your mother. But when an individual gives birth, it doesn't just happen just like that. There is a process that takes place. Nine months, that child is in the womb. And for nine months, that mother is feeding nutrients that she has received to that child, yes? So then, if we're going to be born again, it must be the result of a process. And that process begins when the individual accepts Christ, and it does not end until he sees Jesus break forth through the atmosphere. That process is the work of a lifetime. If somebody ever asks you, when did you get converted? You say, I'm still in the process of being converted. We must be born again. But, but also remember, remember, when that mother, when that child was in the mother's womb, the mother was feeding that child nutrients. And those nutrients can be found in food. Now, the child is not eating the food, but the, the mother is passing the nutrients from the food to the child. And so it is when we are in the process of conversion, which is life, we too must receive nutrients from the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 4, and, and, and Deuteronomy chapter 8, I think it's also verse four or six, one of them. It says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In the process of conversion, in the process of the new birth, we must study the scriptures. How can we expect to be born again if we don't even know what we're supposed to be doing when we're born again? If we don't even know what being born again looks like. So then we must allow ourselves to receive information from the Holy Spirit through his word. That's number one. You must be born again. Number two, if you're going to be born again, you must experience a death to the old self. A what, everybody? A death to the old self. Why do you say that? In John, Jesus says, except a man be born of the water. We call that baptism. What do we know about baptism? Go to the book of Romans. What book did I say? Romans reading from the sixth sixth chapter. Romans reading from the sixth chapter. Now we're looking at the third verse. Here's what Paul says. Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him in baptism into death. Jesus says when a man gets baptized, that is a symbol of a death that is taking place. And when he comes up, he comes up anew in Christ Jesus. A death to the old self. Now that death is a conscious decision. That death is saying, look, I from henceforth forward. Well, I didn't need to say forth forward. But from henceforth, I am choosing to walk in the newness of life. I can't do it by myself, though, because remember, the fruit is produced 
<laughs> by the Spirit. So you can't do it by yourself. But when you make the conscious decision to say, I'm done with the old life. I'm done with how I used to think. I'm done with how I used to treat people. I'm done with how I used to act in church and outside of church. And from henceforth, from henceforth, I am choosing to follow Christ. And if Christ gives me strength, then I shall overcome. So we must experience the new birth. And number two, we must experience a death to the old self. Now, number three. I told you I respect the time. Y'all supposed to say amen to that. <laughs> this brother is working hard to respect the time. My clock runs on CPT time. So I should be here till 2 o'clock. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> the third thing that we must experience is found back in the book of John. In John chapter 3, Jesus says something that's so strange to me. It took me a minute to realize it. Jesus starts off in verse 3. He's talking to Nicodemus. He says, you must be born again. Yes? Then verse 5, he repeats it. Verse 7, he repeats it again. Verse 8, he's talking about how the Holy Spirit is the one who does the work. And then Nicodemus looks at Jesus and he says, how can these things be? How is it possible that I can be born again? And Jesus has to answer that question somehow, but he's quite flustered with the fact that Nicodemus does not understand this because he's saying you have your PhD in, in the law. You have understood all these things. You've been preaching and teaching all your life. How is it that you don't understand what I'm telling you? And so we skip on down to verse 14. Here it is. Christ begins talking to Nicodemus about the new birth and Christ ends the conversation with Nicodemus talking about his own death. Verse 14, he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Notice it, notice it, notice it. In verse 3, he says, you must be born again to have eternal life, to inherit the kingdom of God. In verse 14, he says, Christ must be lifted up for you to inherit eternal life. In other words, what Jesus is trying to say is, if I don't die for you, you won't even have the possibility of experiencing the new birth. So if we're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and receive the Holy Spirit and experience conversion, we must first go to the source of life, which is Jesus Christ, and accept his blood, his sacrifice, and the possibility that he has given us to be saved. Christ is the center. And so because of Christ, I can be born again. Because of Christ, I can overcome. Because of Christ, I don't have to worry about the works of the flesh anymore. Because of Christ, my past does not define me. Because of Christ, I have the promise of a future and a future with Christ and a future in glory. I thank God for what Jesus has done for me. But I'm talking about the main ingredient. Our job, our job is to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in us. Once we have accepted Christ, once we have given our lives to him, 
Once we have made that conscious decision, our job is to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. Every time we open the scriptures, we say to ourselves, Lord, I'm allowing you to speak to me. Not opening the scriptures in church. I mean opening the scriptures when you're all by yourself. See, when, the, when you're alone, the Holy Spirit speaks different when you're sitting next to your friends. <laughs> because some stuff comes out that you don't want other people to know. Christ says, I need you to open your heart. Let me do my work. And we have the promise. We have the glorious promise. In Philippians chapter 1, that he that hath begun a great work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will keep working and working and working until he comes. And when he comes, he's going to take you and me home. I got to close. I got to close this thing. And I want to close with a story. You know, y'all know I like to tell stories. Michael Cuke told me I was a grandpa. <laughs> we will discuss that after service. <laughs> but I guess if I were to own my title, grandpas like to tell stories and so do I. When I was in high school, by the way, you guys know that I'm the same age as you, right? I'm only 19, so when I was in high school, it don't mean 50 years ago. <laughs> when I was in high school, on my senior year, my friends and I got together and we decided that we were going to have a barbecue on our last day of school. I'm telling my story now so the brethren can come out. And we were preparing to have this wonderful experience. Oh, it's going to be great. And the reason it was going to be great because I was the one doing grilling. <laughs> but my friend, because we don't have any money, my friend had decided that she was going to ask her mother if she would prepare the chicken for us. I went to a public school, so, you know, they ate meat. And, you know, I'm, I'm not supposed to, but my Egyptian senses kick in sometimes. I know y'all still chomping on fried chicken and everything, but I'll get there in a, in a few, you know, miles. So my friend, who is from Pakistan, and her mother is from Pakistan, she, she says she's going to prepare the chicken. Now, in my head, all you need to do is, is, you know, clean it. And then, you know, when we're ready to grill it, season it and put it on the grill. But like I told you, they're from Pakistan. They season better than we do. So preparing for her meant that the night before she was going to clean the chicken and, and she was going to buy a box of Shan Masala. That's the company chicken tikka flavor and she was going to let it marinate overnight and the next day when we would receive the chicken now the chicken has uh, been worked on now the chicken has received all of its flavor 
so that when it does hit the grill, the fire will only amplify the process that took place the night before. So we, I put it on the grill and whoo, it was smelling good. And the janitor that day had done something nice for us because we made a mess. It was senior prank day, so we made a mess, so he cleaned it up. So we said, you know, uh, why don't we give him some of the chicken, you know, just to treat him. And when he ate that chicken, he came back to me and he said, Chase, that chicken was so good, it made me want to slap my mama. (laughs) I wish I could have taken credit for it. But the truth is, as the grill master, I was not responsible for the flavor that the chicken had. But it was the process that took place the night before. See, if we're going to succeed in this thing called life, and if we're going to make it to eternal life, we've got to marinate in the spirit. We've got to submerge ourselves in his grace and in his power and allow him to do his work on us. So that when the fires of life come, when the trials and temptations of life come, those will only amplify the work that the Spirit of God has done. And on the outside, people will see that fruit, that work, the manifestation of Christ and His Spirit's inner working. They will see that on the outside. That's my appeal to you. My appeal to you is to let God do his work. Quench not the spirit. So that when life is over, he'll look at you and say, well done. <laughs>